0: that and I don't expect to get that ever. But I will be as those glorious, redeemed, faithful who will gather in your future heaven and enjoy perfection and beauty together with them in your presence. Sustain us with that as we go forward in a new year for your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. All God's people said, amen. amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat, everyone. And I, um, I know some of you kids are uh, about to head, are in the process of moving back to the back and joining a, a great team of um, uh, children's ministry folks. And I uh, hope you guys have a blast. Um, sure, great day. This is, uh, I almost feel like saying, okay, we're done, let's go. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> exactly what did you mean by that? No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, um, it is New Year's. Here on the West Coast, we're about 13 hours from, um, from a new year, right? And, uh, you know, um, New Year's comes with a lot of thought for a lot of people. It's, uh. It's a time where people make resolutions, I realize, and probably you realize that most New Year's resolutions have a high failure rate. You you understand that, right? So if you're still, like, trying to put something on paper and say, you know, this is going to be the compass in the new year, good for you, I'm glad for you, Um, read Ecclesiastes 5, better to not make a vow than to make one and break one, so you might... Consider that side of the equation as well. But you you likely already knew what I just said. A ton of of resolutions um, are made resolutely. There's a play on words, right? You make them because you are driving a stake in the ground. You're saying, I stand on this. I will pursue this in the coming year. And maybe in some cases, it'll carry on beyond that. Um, Those are New Year's resolutions, but um, though the failure rate is high, do you know just how high? Anybody want to guess? Let me help you with that. Uh, There's a deep research project done by Ohio Ohio State University, um, and it discovered that uh, a meager 9% of those that make New Year's resolutions actually keep them. Let me clarify the nine. It was nine, not 90 or 99. 9%. That's one out of 10. Actually, the number slightly less. I'm grading on a scale here. Uh, but um, what's worse, and I found this like a head-scratcher, um, that no one knows just how many people don't even bother. And they have scratched into that question and the best guess is that because too many people have uh, so many examples of starting well and finishing poorly that they said oh phooey I'm not even going there this year and they it's it's guessed that it it I mean they happen so quickly that uh there's a there's almost a futility about it in the minds of I'm not going to ask you to show hands how many have made them, how many still have 13 hours to come up with something, or whatever it happens to be. But um, no wonder one cynic has said, a New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. Okay. right? That's how it works, right? Did you know that the, there is a day in the second Friday of January, every year, and I don't know if it's circled on your calendar. I don't think it comes up on your uh, mobile device as an official day or um, calendar um, holiday in America, but it's called Quitter's Day. (laughs) Care to guess what that's about? It's about all those people that on the previous year made a resolution and didn't keep them. They gave up on them. Th- this is the official restart day. In other words, your engine ran out of gas in less than two weeks, and it's Quitters Day, and you can start over again if you like, because many people do so. So, even so, people, we we are people that like to get the new year off with a b- to a bang. We d- we just. Um, Talk to law enforcement, it's it's probably the most active and uh, concerning night of the year, and um, we have one of those in our family, so we're praying extra hard. But I, um, it's a big day. A lot of people just kind of come unglued and go crazy and um, celebrate. They make a lot of noise. We don't have our dog with us anymore, but she was traumatized beyond words every 4th of July and New Year's. But I did, I did, I spent a lot of time searching, okay, what is the world around me thinking when it comes to New Year's resolutions? I came up with a list, I thought it was kind of fascinating, a quick list of New Year's resolutions, top 10. Lose weight, how many could guess that one? That's always in there, it's always, okay. Um, Exercise, they kind of go together, I guess. Um, Eat healthy, drink less, and I don't think they mean water. Saying, um, read more. Spend less money. Am I hitting some, bringing some bells for you? Some of you are going, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. Um, here's one: spend more time with family and friends. That was big, and then spend less time on social media. And there's huge numbers of those people. Um, and then save more. And my. Personal favorite, this was really on the list of many, Floss daily. (laughs) Yeah, says the dental hygienist among us here. So So if you were to research New Year's resolutions, maybe you'll have some fun doing what I did already. But um, you'd likely notice, as I did, there's something missing from almost every list that I came across. Spiritual. Things like read the Bible daily. Never made the list, that I the lists, multiple lists that I came across. Pray more consistently. You know, kind of the Colossians 4, 2, devote yourself to prayer. Uh, pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5. It's in the Bible, but not many people have it on their New Year's spiritual resolution list. Here's one. T- attend church weekly numbers are right now less than two times a month it's 1.3 times a month on average for evangelicals ah, that's that's i know we've got live stream and that's i'm glad for that but it's not meant to be a substitute it's meant to supplement in most cases so here's a, here's another one serve in more in some way regularly say yes when somebody says you know god gave you a gift when you met him a spiritual gift and he wants you to unpack it and use it and it's actually for his glory and for your good and the blessing of the people that you touch it's a good thing here's a couple of more give financially to the kingdom weekly first corinthians 16 makes that emphasis and then share your salvation story frequently if jesus touched your life don't be shy you got a story to tell um, to some, those things are already part of their lives. I know I'm talking to the choir, as we sometimes say, and that's really true. And, and so for you, you'd say, well, I never made a list of those. And why would you? Because they're part of you. That's, that's how a lot of things you can kind of um, guess that I've just mentioned are already sort of embedded in you. They're part of who you are and good for you. Keep it going. It going. Um, but to others, even mentioning such things creates, I'm just going to say it out straight, a spiritual to-do list. There's those among us that think that somehow creating a, a list of resolutions is contrary to grace. It's like this, now you're putting a bunch of do's in front of me, pastor. That's why I stay away. I don't want to feel the guilt, you know, that kind of People think that way. Still others say, I don't want to start and then stop, like you mentioned. Maybe you can even quote Ecclesiastes 5 and say, here's why. It's better not to than to, you know, hit and miss. Um, And um, some resistors actually insist that since New Year's Day is not (laughs) a recognized holiday in heaven, Start a spiritual resolution around the beginning of the new year. So um, to these and other voices who might be resistors among us of saying, let's start fresh. Let's, if this is an etch a sketch, let's do this and get started fresh. Let's clean the slate. Um, a, a couple of thoughts for us today. I want you to go to Acts chapter 2. We've been in Acts for a year, 50. Um fifty four weeks. We finished recently for a series uh, on Advent, which has been wonderful. But Acts chapter two, um, if you think back, you many of you are part of Grace Point and have been part of this journey with us. but uh, through Acts, um, and and when the Holy Spirit comes, Acts chapter two, that's why I have you turn there. When the Holy Spirit comes or came in power on Pentecost, the results, impacted everyone. There wasn't a single person there that didn't have a direct hit in Jerusalem for what we're about to read. And the effects of that moment spread everywhere. The apostle Peter described what happened that day by quoting the words we're going to read, verse 17. In the last days, Peter stands up, verse 14, and um, raises his voice among a massive gathering of people that have just seen a light show and sounds they've never heard and all sorts of supernatural stuff. You can read that earlier in chapter 2. And Peter sees they're all going, they got that look of shocked amazement and confusion, like, what's this all about? Some thought everybody just came from a party, only it was the morning, no one was drunk. Peter makes that point. So he stands up and quotes an Old Testament prophet, Joel. In the last days, God says, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone amidst all of this commotion who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You read that word, how it finishes in verse 21? Can I give you something? There's confusion. There's a lot of clamor. There's a lot of crazy in our world. If you're still being driven and tossed by winds and waves you haven't found an anchor in all of that. You just need to call on the name of the Lord. You say what's that look like? God have mercy on me the sinner I need your help it's straight out of Luke's gospel chapter 18 one man that just had nothing to offer he just had a terrible year and another one he was anticipating and in that desperate moment he called upon verse 21 the name of the Lord God have mercy on me as he it says beat his chest that's a way of saying I suck I'm out I didn't I don't have any fingers pointed at anybody in my past I've just got nothing says i came actually for people like you which is really a true statement of all of us isn't it when when christ when god showed his great love for us he sent jesus to die for us while we were yet a mess sinful so from the beginning point we just read about the holy spirit every single moment described in the rest of the book of Acts the Holy Spirit was working and he's still writing stories our stories day by day step by step moment by moment he's still engaged but here's a qualifier the the person that he is working to make you the transformation that's underway to from the moment you said God have mercy on me to take you from that moment and build into your life a transforming um, uh, change. He he says things like you know what I will work in you the Holy Spirit won't do these things. He's not going to just sprinkle pixie dust or somehow wave a wand and you're Change person. He won't do it for you. He will, however, join you and do it with you. Uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote a book, So You Want to Be Like Christ. Uh, you've heard me preach for a long time, and you've heard me say um, words that I personalize. Uh, they, I didn't, uh, this book hadn't been written yet. I, for a long time, I've said, Lord, make me more like you and less like me, and that'll make me a better human the board, better husband, better parent, better, not perfect, but I'm in process, right? I want to be a better boss. I want to be a better neighbor, you know, on down the list. Um, and and I and I asked that, but when I came across his book, uh, So You Want to Be Like Christ, I thought, what a great title, and what a great prayer. And in the book, he, he actually subtitled it, Eight Habits to Get You There. So I know I'm I sound like I'm selling books. But the book builds on one verse in the New Testament. Actually, a couple, but the one main one. Is the final counsel from Paul to Timothy. And you don't have to turn there, it's just one verse. Okay? So Paul's got his arm around Timothy, and he says to Timothy, discipline yourself. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Meaning you're involved in this process. There will take some discipline, and the outcome is really cool. You will be a different man or woman. You will be more godly than when you met Jesus, the God-man, right? So that's how it works. Uh, but Chuck openly acknowledged that the word in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 is a bothersome word to him, and it is to many of us, if you think about it, discipline. Discipline for me meant you're getting a spanking. When I was young, my brother got a lot more than I got, but I just for the record, I was, my dad wore out belts on my bottom. I mean, it was wasn't that bad, but I was a troubled child. I was uh, I was a handful. Um, discipline wasn't pleasant for me. I know Hebrews twelve tells us it is, but discipline um, is also something I see happening in the. Daily when I go there. People are working hard at the gym. Myself included, Debbie. We, we go there. We work. There's discipline involved. It's hard work. Chuck adds, it drips with sweat. And then he admitted, it called to mind, I'm quoting, some of my grueling days in boot camp as a Marine. Discipline? Ugh! You had to do it as a Marine. Who would ever choose to do it? like the Bible is telling us. And then he confessed when he looked at that verse again, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. He noticed that it applied to the Christian life, and these are his sort of customary humorous words. Oh, great. That's all I need is another chore. How many feel that way sometimes when a preacher says, you guys got to start doing this? It's okay. I'm not going to take offense, all right? like oh great i got i have another chore so in writing a book on spiritual disciplines he's confessing i run the risk of standing in line behind your dentist who scolds you for not flossing and your cardiologist who callously pokes at your expanding gut meaning lose some weight you don't want to go back to the cardiac unit so who wants to hear I don't want to shame you into walking a spiritual treadmill nor do I want to convince you that a no fun checklist of spiritual tedium will somehow pay dividends in eternity on the other hand I don't want to suggest that becoming like Christ will be easy there's something to think about Uh, will the wind always be at your back Next year, I don't know. Maybe so. Is there a chance we could have totally unpredicted, unexpected stuff to deal with? I think most of us would say, yeah, I'm guessing that. I'm anticipating don't. I don't want to be a fatalist, but we've got a string of bad years going here. I'm just being honest. Here's one thing I want to leave with you today. There is an exchange that happens in the gospel of Mark, and I want you to just see it. It's a short exchange with Jesus and the disciples. Um, And it's easier to tell you than have you read the whole thing. But Mark chapter 8 is is the place where you can just kind of turn there and see sort of the yield or the fruit of these two moments. One happens earlier in chapter 6. And then there's this moment in chapter 8 and Jesus sort of massages the point and you go home. The They both involve feeding massive numbers of men and their wives and children. The first one is 5,000. There's a lot of people, 5,000 men, and who knows, no one can guess the count of all of those. And um, they all take place... Um, on occasions where Jesus was teaching and like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was done teaching, people were like, whoa, that was that was legit. That was way better than I've ever heard. I mean, I'm, I'm going to that guy's synagogue or wherever he teaches or preaches. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to listen to him. They, he teaches like no one else we've ever heard and on and on. On both occasions, Jesus, after after preaching to thousands, it says in both cases, you read this in detail yourself. It says that he had compassion on the people, which means they forgot to do things like, hey, let's get a drink of water. I'm thirsty. Or, hey, you know what? I haven't eaten in two days. In some cases, I've, I've skipped all who knows how many meals. But I'm just riveted. I'm just absolutely mesmerized by his message you know and so jesus sees these people and realizes you know what there isn't a winco here there is no costco there's nothing that has the quantity of calories to help these dear people who and he and it says in both cases they he had compassion on the people so they they take a little you know what a starter is if you're making uh, sourdough bread right well, the starter was meager. It was five loaves and two fish in the first story. And then um, similar in the second story. It doesn't matter the details. Seven loaves and we're told just a few small fish. And he says to his disciples, you go feed them. Stay with me. So they fed him. And the first one, when they were done feeding, this massive crowd of people, the disciples distributed the food. They picked up 12 basketsfuls of leftovers. I personally believe the reason for that is fairly obvious. So I could walk back with a basket all the way back to Jesus, let's say, and I'm one of the disciples, and I've got a I've got a I've got an object lesson in my arms. Going, "Hold on, these people are all sitting there satisfied. They just ate everything that was in seconds." And they're They've got this distance to walk back to Jesus because there's thousands of people. I think that's one of the reasons. Just a sidebar, but I think it makes the point, especially what I'm going to show you in a second. The second group, it says that they gathered up a whole bunch of um, of leftover pieces and, again, more time to think. We're not told how much time between these two events, but i got to ask a question. Show me your hand. If you were at the first one, would that have left an p- impression on you? And then as you saw the second one happening here in chapter 8, would you have gone, whoa. I'm would you? Would anybody have thought, you know, this could be, you know, a second time. This is wild. So anyway, you find yourself in that moment. And then the Pharisees, not to be left out of this whole thing, they make a big deal about, in chapter 8 now, they make a big deal saying, hey, look, um, want to they want to show they want a a bigger show those days a large crowd gathered together he had compassion on the people chapter eight and then the disciples had verse 14 is what i want you to see verse 11 the pharisees came and began questioning him to test him they asked him for a sign from heaven hello (laughs) i've been watching peter in the chosen i'm sure peter went hey stupid if that's not a sign, what is it? Right? I mean, I love that about Peter. I don't know. Sorry, parents, if I used the wrong word. Stupid. But um, Anyway, Pharisees are testing him, looking for a sign from heaven. Open your eyes, bro. He sighed deeply so it was not lost on Jesus and said, Why does this just generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, this: no sign will be given to it. And verse 14 is a a moment that you can't even believe if I've done even partial job in capturing those two epic scenes. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Where? Well, verse 13 says they got in the boat and started across Lake Galilee. Right? They're done feeding the masses. They get in the boat and they start To realize something. Uh Uh-oh. We forgot to bring a basket or two for us. (laughs) Yeah, you're chuckling. This is good. You're getting it. Like, what were we thinking? You're kidding me. Now what? (laughs) We're going to starve. We're going to become fish food. You know? This is, a, this is a moment and a half. Jesus' first words don't give you a whole lot to go on. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Same thing. Yeast here is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's an evil thing. It's a hard and blind heart. It's you just saw. No, you were just part of a miracle. And you got in the boat. And, and he says there's only one loaf, one loaf in the boat. Um, this, is, this is too much. So Jesus quizzes them, verse 17. By the way, i gotta, I got to back up. I'm, I'm, I'm moving so quickly here. Uh, the disciples had forgotten, and they verse 16 says they discussed this with one another. Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus quizzed them. You need to stop and look at me. The word "disgust" is too tame. They were arguing. Many translations use "argue." They were like, "You're the guy that was supposed to procure the food. What were you thinking? Now what are we going to do? Eat you? I mean, this is crazy. There was this was not tame. This was not a, you know, hey guys, um, got something. Jesus is aware of their argument. Okay, New Living Translation uses it to name just one of many translations. So they're arguing about this point, and Jesus teaches a take-home. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? have eyes but you fail to open them and see do you have ears but you don't just sit still and listen and don't you remember and he puts the current facts in front of them verse 19 when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 that's back in chapter 6 When I did that, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Well, 12, they answered. And when I just broke the seven loaves for 4,000 and their families, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They correctly answered seven. He said to them, do you still... Not get it. (laughs) Um, There is a dad that appears the next page in your Bible, Mark chapter 9. And it's an exasperated dad, desperate because he's done everything in his power to help his son who is possessed by an impure spirit. It's killing his boy right in front of him. And he and he comes to Jesus. And he has similar words when he says to Jesus um Jesus asking him what's what's this all about? How long has this been happening to your boy? From childhood came the answer verse 21. It's often thrown him into the fire and into the water to drown him. But if you can what listen to these words if you can do anything take pity on us and help us cried the dad. I know that feeling. I know I know I'm a dad. You don't have to be a dad or a mom, you can just feel with this. But look at Jesus' response. If you can everything is possible. You're kind of a person that doesn't make spiritual resolutions. Not because you fail, but because you don't believe God can do it. I want to challenge you about a God we're going to sing about in closing this year out. The God that's able. Because some of us have come to the place where we haven't read far enough to what the Father finally said, I believe, he cried. Help me overcome my disbelief. You might be the guy that doesn't make resolutions. You may be the guy or gal that doesn't doesn't expect to see amazing happen because you're hedging your bet. You're like this dad that goes, I... We have no evidence that the dad saw the meals being so the disciples had the problem and this dad had a problem. I'm, I'm out of options. This dad's crying. Maybe your situation here or at home, You're yeah, it's a new year, big deal. Nothing's changing. And God says, wait a minute. All things are possible. And he puts one word In front of this dad and in front of us. If you believe. Don't you love this dad? I want to meet him in heaven. He's a real guy. Because he spoke my words. I do believe. I got issues. I have holdbacks. That's unbelief. I got I'm not sure's in my heart. I believe you and I don't want to even entertain other options I believe you in all of this as the worship team resets I want to have you tuck away close your Bible and just just listen to the lyrics of the song we're going to sing it's a song you probably have sung you you probably have loved it Um, it's beautifully composed but it's It's profound truth. And it's an honest song. It's a dad song, like this dad. If you can do anything, God, I'm at that point in my walk. It's a song more than able. It starts with a confession. When when did I start to forget? All of the great things... When did I throw away faith for the impossible? More questions. How did I start to believe that you weren't sufficient for me? When did I start believing? Why do I talk myself out of seeing miracles? Do those words describe you? A little? Maybe a lot? I suppose we're all somewhere in there. I have a prayer, a simple prayer for you. Is that you would ask the Holy Spirit, we read about in Acts 2. You would ask the Holy Spirit to that leaven from your life it's holding you back and 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 whatever unbelief is there, pray open your heart and say Jesus, clean me up, get it out of me. at least help me do it. And then there's a resolution in the song and if you're able to sing it, You to sing it like your heart really believes it. You are more than able. You are more than able. Would you stand and I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we'll sing. Jesus, today is a big day. Not because tomorrow's 2024, but because today is the day that you have made. Today is the day you're meeting. This moment is when you want to change things up in our lives. Way past midnight tonight. And I pray that that would happen. For anyone with the nerve to say, I do believe you, Jesus. It's a a tension-filled confession, but I believe you. Help me. If you're you're not able to even get there, reach out some other place just steve at grace point family we'll we'll talk we'll we'll take steps together but resolve to walk in your heart by faith with the one who has no limit or lack when doing what is for his glory and for your good you want to talk after church today just